remind all of you again, this is Mother's Day. It's also kind of Ladies' Day as we have a gift for every lady um, above the age of high school, college and above. The um, actually Interesting enough, the ladies have made gifts for themselves, but they are, uh, there's a votive glass, a votive candle, which the word votive really means a gift or offering, and in it there's some handmade um, things you work with at home. So, so there in the back, be sure to pick one up. I think there might be some things, uh, people handing them out afterwards. It's our expression. Well, the ladies' expression to each other of uh, our love for you. So anyway, be sure to pick one up. But we're excited about today. We're excited for every lady here. And we've, we hopefully uh, experience throughout the day an opportunity to show our love for you and appreciation for all that you do. I'm supposed to list all the people who, who made those things this week, but um, I've already butchered the announcement anyway, so um, maybe we'll put that in print someplace. Well, as we were thinking about this, I was thinking uh, through my years of preaching and leading a church, a lot of times I would dedicate the message on Sunday, on Mother's Day, to be a Mother's Day sermon. However, I chose not to do that this week, but I do have a Mother's Day story to begin with. So here goes. The boss called one of his employees into the office. Rob was uh, said, you've been with the company for a year. You started off in the post room. One week later, you were promoted to a sales position. And one month after that, you were promoted to district manager of the sales department. Just four short months later, you were promoted to vice chairman. And now it's time for me to retire. And I want you to take over the company. What do you say to that? Thanks, said the employee. Thanks, the boss replied. Is that all you can say? I suppose not, the employee said. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) So some ways you can get some great gifts if uh, your mom's the boss and owns the company. And this morning we want to talk about the real boss, which is God, and he really has a plan for our lives. So let's look to him in prayer before we look in his word. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to be here, and we pray in all that we do that you might speak into our lives. Father, we do want to honor the ladies here this morning and, and just uh, pray that this, throughout this day that they're encouraged and see just how valuable they are to us and, and how uh, important they are to everything that happens well uh, in our lives. But Father, we pray as we look in your word that you might speak to us and that we might be people that know you more deeply and follow you more faithfully. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is actually the second part of a three-part series that is part of a larger series uh, called Questions Asked and Answered. And throughout this series, if you've got questions about particularly the New Testament, but anything related to the Scripture, we invite you to put that on response cards or call the church office, give me a call, send me an email, or send Scott one as well, and we'll try to deal with those questions as, as, as clearly as we can. But as we do that this, uh, this uh, year, we're going to be particularly focused on the New Testament. Uh, we've gone through the four Gospels, and as we shared a little bit last week, really the Gospels focus on Jesus, and that's no big surprise for us this morning. Uh, it focuses on Jesus, and particularly promising that Jesus is going to die, but then raise again, rise again, and that's promised, and then that promise is kept because the Gospels record the resurrection of Jesus. And that was really the so what, and that was our focus on Easter. But then after you get the so what, and among the so what things 
related to the resurrection is that God answers the big big questions we have in life. We don't have to live a life of fear because God has settled the darkest question that we would all ask and what happens after we die if we've, if we've got God's answer for our lives. But then you have the now what? Well, now what am I supposed to do as long as I stay on this planet? What does God want me to be involved in? What am I should be passionate about? And really that's why God inspired Luke, who wrote one of the Gospels, to write the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to that book, though we'll be doing, looking at a variety of passages this morning. And, and we're really going to see the now what of Jesus is alive. And as we look at that, I want to give a little bit of a context of what we'll be talking about this morning, and then we'll look at the content. Uh, the context, somewhat by review, if you were here with us last Lord's Day, is this book is the record of the activity of the Holy Spirit through his people. Some of you have some Bibles in which they title the books, individual books in the New Testament. And many of them will say the Acts of the Apostles. Well, that's not necessarily a, a poor title for this particular book, though you need to understand that many authors, many scholars will say that really both the Gospel of Luke, Luke and the book of Acts was initially together. It wasn't two books. It was one book that had two major chapters in it. But the book of Acts really speaks about the activity of what happens among God's people. But it's never a man thing. It's all about being a God thing. It's what God does through his people. So we see the movement of the Spirit of God through people who put their faith in him. So it's the activity of the Holy Spirit through his people. But also there's a very singular theme that goes throughout this book. And that's really the marching order for God's people. And at the top of our list is that we are to be his representatives. We are to be the people who get out his message. We are to be his witness. And that's really what the key verse, or at least the summary verse of this book is all about. Acts, it is the story of the witness by God's people. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. It's really not an option. When you think about being a witness, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the context of this message today. But it's not, I, I want you to be a witness. Oh, please, please be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. The only question is, are you going to be a good witness or a what? Bad witness. Because we all are his representatives if we've taken on his name. Just for free here, in the book of Acts is where... God's followers, Jesus' followers, were first called Christians, Acts 13, I believe. And really that, that term Christian was really, actually was kind of like our phrase, not used as much today as it was a number of years ago, like Jesus freak. Because the word Christian means a little Christ. <laughs> you think you're just a little Christ. But it were people that were identified as, as Jesus' followers, as Christ's followers. And as you took on that label, either you reflected well about him or not so well about who he was and what he could do in your life. So you shall be my witnesses. And he gives us a geographical look as where we ought to do this in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we're going to see about that. It's really locally, regionally and globally. But I want to focus a little bit on that word witness. That's really what the book of acts focuses on as far as our marching orders then we should have a pretty good clue as what that means what does it mean to be a witness 
well, to begin at least a little bit in the original language, it's an interesting word in the Greek language. Witness comes from the Greek word for martyr. Now, martyr, if you're familiar with that term, you know, some words we have relationships to, we can kind of figure out, and some we're not so enamored with. We were talking about that little gift that's been going to be given to all the ladies here. It was called a votive gift. And none of us in our staff had a clue what the word votive meant. You know, we had to look it up. Well, what does it mean, martyr mean? Well, for some of you, that's a person who, for a cause, sacrifices his life or her life for that cause. And you think, well, if that's the definition of a martyr, and that's how we normally use that term, someone who dies for something in a, in a heroic way or sacrificial way, what does that relate to witness? Well, if you think about it just simply for a moment, it, it does give a clue. A martyr is one who is willing to live and die for the truth. Of course, some people die for that which is not true, but in in relationship to Jesus, it's about living and dying for the truth, or at least willing to die for the truth. Someone has well said that you're not really prepared to live until you're prepared to to die. And for us, we know what it's what life is worth living for. The ultimate cause, the ultimate reason we're here is is to know God and to make him known. And for them, it wasn't theoretical. Well, you know, if you're a witness, a good witness for Jesus, you know, your life might be on the line. For many of them, if not most of them in that first century, when they took a stand for Jesus, it cost them their what? Life. But let's be honest you know, God is not calling most of us to physically die because of our testimony or our witness for Jesus. But he is calling us to do something even more difficult, to live out our life as a testimony for Jesus. Remember that verse in Romans 12:1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, a living sacrifice. You know, most sacrifices were what? Dead sacrifices. He said, I, I want to change you. I want you to understand, I want you to be a living sacrifice. To live out your faith so people can see it. So we are called to be a witness. A witness comes from the Greek word for martyr. A martyr is one who is willing to, to live and die for the truth. Uh, thirdly, a witness is one who simply tells what he or she knows and has experienced. Now, now this speaks very definitively for us who at times think that God is calling us to do or to be things that we cannot do or be. Anyone want to say amen to that? Sometimes you just feel overwhelmed. God, I, I, just, I just can't do that. I know the pastor's pushing me, but I can't do that. Wherever you're feeling nudged toward out of your comfort zone, sometimes you're saying, it's not just my comfort zone, it's my Lack of abilities or training. I, I can't do what I'm expected to do. Well, let's look very plainly at this as it relates to a witness. All the qualifications that a person needs to be a witness is to know something. Or to have experienced something. If you've ever been in that situation, I've had that experience where I was called to testify in a court situation. All they want to know is, were you there when it happened? And what did you observe and what did you hear? 
And, and really, that's the freeing thing about being a witness, is we, we are to live out our experience with a quality of life that people say, I want what you have. And then when we have opportunity to explain, well, can you explain to me what you have and how did you get it? You were there when you came to know Christ, weren't you? You weren't absent that day. Are you getting the point here? So you just tell what you did, what happened, how you experienced it. And so what is so awesome about this is that all of us qualify simply to live out our faith in a joyous way. And when we mess up, to be honest about that, none of us are perfect. And none of us are a perfect witness or testimony. But we can just be real and genuine, experience life to its fullest, and then tell people about it. And if they ask you a question you don't have an answer for, simply say, that's a great question. I don't have an answer for it. But I can tell you what I do know and what I have experienced. Also, a, a witness, and we've kind of already talked about, is, is one who speaks with words and convinces others with his or her lifestyle. Sometimes there's big debates about whether a witness is verbal or nonverbal. You know, some, I think it was... Uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel, always sometimes use words. Uh, that's a great phrase, but let me tell you, Jesus preached the gospel. The apostles and disciples preached the gospel. And when we're talking about preaching, we're talking about talking about the message of the cross and the resurrection. It, is that it's both. And so we speak about our faith and we live out our faith. And again, no one does it perfectly. But you just do it as best you can in an authentic way with people you know. And your oikos, those, those people who know you best, are going to be able to, to key in on this is real. And then look for any other opportunity as well. Another key principle. The message is so powerful and good, it is for everyone. Now, I threw a phrase in there, next two words, because it's in the text of Acts 1.8. Even Samaritans. Look at Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, which was in their hometown. And then it says in all Judea, they would have no problem with that. And then it said Samaria. One of the things that we, within our politically charged world, particularly in America, where it can be very divisive, not only outside the walls of a church, but also inside the walls of a church, our identification is with Jesus. And if someone's in another political party, they're not our enemies. If people are even committed at this point to another world religion or they have another race or they live in another certain place in the world, they are not our enemies. People who've done horrific things in this life. The, the, the government has the responsibility of bringing justice and order. Our responsibility as Christ followers is very simple. To love people and get out the message of the greatest lover, which is Jesus. If you do any historical look at Samaritans as it relates to the audience, particularly who was hearing this message at this time, which were all Jewish people. To say that the message was to get out, to be a witness to Samaritans, went against everything they knew and experienced in life. Regularly and on their prayer agenda was to pray a curse upon all Samaritans. Now, now, I dare say, probably none of us this morning woke up. We just had a challenge by Brandon about praying. Prayed any curses on people today. 
or probably this week. That wasn't on the prayer list for the worship team on Thursday. But that was their experience. They, they verbalized their hatred of this people. And Jesus is saying to them, I, I want you to be a testimony to them of my great love and mercy. I'm going to be careful. I'm not going to get to the content this morning. There's a lot. Remember the story of Jonah? We are, that's a great story in the Old Testament. You know, there's a lot of books in the Old Testament. We have no idea what they're what in there. But you remember Jonah, the fish story. You know, he didn't want to go there. And then he goes to Nineveh. And, and then he preaches a very simple message with not a whole lot of passion in it, hoping that people would not respond. Most preachers, that's not the goal. You want people to respond. They all responded. I mean, he was the, one of the most successful preachers ever in the history of, of preachers. And he was angry at everyone repenting. Why was that? Because he hated the people he was sharing the message to. And God used that an object lesson then. And then he used the Samaritans when Jesus went to the, the well with the woman at the well and here in this marching order, very specifically, pointed to people they did not care about. There's all kinds of things that, that historically was said about the Jewish relationship to Samaritans. It was interesting. Uh, they believed that the only reason God allowed Samaritans to be on this earth because they were the people that God created hell for. They were the people to populate hell. Can you imagine that? I mean, looking at someone and say, I wonder why God allowed you to be born. Oh, I know, because he wanted you, specifically you, to be one of the, the people that he made hell for. And then Jesus said, I, I want you to go to those people that you have this horrific attitude toward. And realize I died for them as well. God's desire is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. I'm not going to try to solve the question of limited atonement, unlimited atonement, but I do know this. The heart of God is he loves those whom he has made. And so as we think about that, we might not have the level of hatred there, but there are some people that... We shy away from. And we need to understand that the power of the witness is for everyone. And and the good news, too, is that that God can rescue those people you believe are hopeless cases. That it's amazing. I mean, who would have imagined we're going to be looking at that in the next couple of weeks in our small groups, our life groups. How did how did Paul get in on this? In fact, this week we're going to be looking at his conversion. I mean, he's the most unlikely person to become a Jesus follower. But the message is for everyone. And finally, every believer is a witness, though not every believer is an evangelist. And I don't want to go on great lengths on this, but you know, I don't think anyone in this room probably, maybe some of our young people are going to grow up to be that, but, but probably none of us adults here are going to be Billy Grahams. I mean, if that were to be the, the place that we would already been there. I mean, some of our young people, that might be exactly what God is calling you to be. There are those who are gifted in extreme ways to be the people that, whether in a large auditorium or just in small groups or whatever setting it might be, they're just leading people verbally to Christ 
just all the time. And they just have that gift to draw people to cross that line. And that's that's the gift of evangelism. But all of us can be a witness to be one more seed that's placed in a person's heart that God brings to to grow into a, a plant that flowers for him. And so all of us are in this together, whether we're always there when that person crosses the line of faith, but we all are involved in that witness that should draw people to himself. So as you look at the the context of the book of Acts, it's about the movement of the Holy Spirit and particularly the movement of the Holy Spirit through his people to be a witness, to, to, to live it and speak about it locally, regionally, and globally. Well, that's the context. Let's look at the content of what I want to share this morning about. Back part of your outline. And we're going to look at one other major thing. We're going to divide the book of Acts in in, in three sections as we go through this survey, look through the whole entire New Testament. But last Lord's Day, and I really intended to go a little bit further, but now I've kind of divided it up differently, is we looked at the truths that God wants us to understand, the crucial truths about how God acts in his people. And the first one is to understand, it's crucial for us to understand the truths about the kingdom of God. And I have to be careful, I'll re-preach last Sunday's message. But this is, this is an understanding, well, how, how does God rule or reign? or what, What's he doing in this land now that is filled with so many things going on? We, we can't make sense of it. In fact, some who reject the concept that God is really more than a wishful thought of people who want to feel comfortable when things don't go right in this world, they they say, well, how could you believe in a God who allows a world to go wrong all the time? Well, one of the simple answers, and we talked about that last Lord's Day, is you need to understand God's rule and reign is in two stages. Just like Jesus came the first time, and we, as Christ followers, believe he's going to come a... Second time. Are you still with me? Do I need to start? Am I speaking too fast? Okay, no. Great. That's what I always like to hear. Okay, he came a first time and he came a second time. Well, really the kingdom of God needs to be understood, at least from my perspective, as far as understanding God's word, needs to understand there's two stages. There is the inaugurated kingdom. There, there's the present form of the kingdom. There, there's, there's, the, there's that appetizer form of the kingdom. But then there's going to be the fullness of his kingdom. The future kingdom. That's when every wrong will be righted. That's when things make sense. Because his kingdom rule will not simply be done perfectly in heaven, but now here on what? Earth. And so that's critical. Or you're going to go through life thinking about this fullness of joy, this 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 awesomeness of life that God has promised in the words of Jesus as well as his followers. You're saying, where is that in my experience? Yeah, I, I can point to a lot of things going wrong in my life that bring me sorrow more than than fullness of joy. And then you're brought back to the reality that fullness of joy here is in the person of Jesus, not the circumstances that you're connected to at the moment. That's coming in the future. There will be a time when there will be no tear and there'll be no sorrow, there'll be no pain, but it's not now. And so you need to understand that There's a partial present form of the kingdom, and there will be a future fullness of the kingdom. But it's also crucial to understand the role of the Holy Spirit 
in the believer's life now. It's crucial to understand the truth about God, the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan, who is a, a favorite author and speaker of many, he wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago, The Forgotten God. We talked about God the Father. We know, at least in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We think of the Father a person of God within the, the Trinity, the, the three in one. And we think about Jesus, but often we, we leave out the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Well, you can't really read through the book of Acts. You actually can't really read carefully the Gospel of John. You can't really, really understand even Jesus at his birth, Christmas, without understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, even as we think about it, I was, I was looking, well, how can I tie Mother's Day and my message this morning? In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, the, the mother of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and really, that's the, the model moms are the ones who are filled, controlled, influenced by the Holy Spirit. But how is the Holy Spirit to be understood as far as some crucial truths? And this, uh, this past week, I just looked up every reference to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And, and then I said, there's no way to go through all of them in this particular message. So we're just going to pick, highlight a few of the crucial ones as we need to understand the role of what the Spirit of God is to do in our lives. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. So we've looked at the context, which is the witness of God's people. Now we're looking at the content. Well, how, how are we supposed to be a witness to, uh, as God's people? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, verse 4 and 5. What are some truths about the Holy Spirit we should realize? It, it says in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with, uh, what? Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Now, it's interesting, the birth of the church was birthed by the movement of the Holy Spirit. It was also birthed out of a prayer meeting, if you look at Acts chapter 1 very carefully. But what he's saying here is, I want you to understand, as this whole thing begins, that the experience that you have to, with God, in contrast with your experience you had as John the Baptist was the one leading up to Jesus, you need to understand the distinction. John the Baptist had a baptism of water, which was a baptism of preparation for Jesus to come. It was a baptism symbolizing that you were willing to turn from your ways of living, a repentance, a repentance from sin, uh, to the one who was to come. But John said, there's going to be a baptism that, that the Messiah is going, to, is going to be a baptism of fire, which is a whole other subject, but it'll be a baptism with the Holy Spirit. So as we think about crucial truths about the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that God and Jesus is the baptizer. He's the one up there. Like, for instance, if you were in the, the, the baptismal pool or at a lake or an ocean, whatever it might be, he's the one doing the baptism of the baptismal candidate. But what he's baptizing that person into is not water, but the Spirit of God. Now, what should that picture in our mind about our relationship with God? Is that when we become a Christ follower, what Jesus does is he immerses us, he, he, he surrounds us, he dips us fully into the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God. That you are immersed, you are, you are surrounded, you are overwhelmed by the Spirit of God who, who dwells within you. It, it's, it's called the, the ministry of the indwelling 
of the Spirit of God in, in Christ's followers. That he, he's now, now outside you. He's now within you. In Romans chapter 8 and 9, we won't look at that, but it says, unless the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are not a follower. You're not a, a child of God. This is not optional. This is not just for super spiritual Christians that they have the spirit more than somebody else does. To be a child of God, the spirit of God needs to dwell within you. He needs to be, you need to be immersed with him. First Corinthians 12, it talks about that when that happens, you are, you are placed in the body of Christ as the spirit of God just is just overwhelming you. That needs to be our sense that the Spirit of God just lives His life out through us. Turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this is the verse we looked at. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that very simply says He is our source of power. Some of you have heard this. It's the word power there in the Greek is the word dunamis from which we get the word dynamite. That we have all the strength, all the ability, all the resources that we need to be what God wants us to be. And that really puts us in a, a no-excuse zone, doesn't it? I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I, just, I, just, I just don't, I just can't do that. I'm not able to do that. I just, I don't have that kind of power. We have all the power that we need because we have Holy Spirit power. Now, let me, let me step aside here. I, there are gifts of the Spirit. There are things that God uniquely wants us to do and to be, and He gives some abilities to to some people, he doesn't get to others. But the power for us to be a witness, to be one who speaks out and lives out what we know about Jesus so people can see Jesus in us, we have everything we need for that to happen. And the things God does call us to do, we're going to have the ability, enablement, empowerment from the Spirit of God to do that as well. So it's not putting us on a guilt trip to do things God doesn't want us to do, but the things he does want us to do, we have a sufficient power sufficient strength to do that so we are immersed we we have the spirit of god dwelling within us we have power uh, also i think significantly when you understand this about the ministry of the spirit he is the author of scripture look at acts 1 verse 16 men and, and brethren this, this scripture had to be fulfilled which the holy spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. We understand it, that Jesus is the author of Scripture. And, and then it goes on that they were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand, the reason I put this connection, that he is the author of Scripture, that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're all who know Jesus indwelled by him. But we're not all necessarily at any moment in time filled by him or controlled by him. And one of the ways to know whether you're filled or controlled by the Spirit of God is you're filled and controlled by what he has written, which is the word of God. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If we don't get through the entire outline, it's all right. All right. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17 through 21, really speaks about our part in connecting with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, or moment-by-moment basis. Verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How many here would like to know what the will of the Lord is? 
God's plan for your life. Okay, here's God's plan for your, your life and my life. Do not get drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the uh, Spirit. Now, again, the analogy there is pretty straightforward. If, if a person takes too much alcohol and starts to drive and gets pulled over, we will say they were driving under the influence. So when he says be filled with the Spirit, he says be under the influence of the Spirit. And don't go be under the influence of that which is not going to be the Spirit or spirits. And sometimes we speak of alcohol as being spirits. Verse 19, what will, what will that look like when we're under the ministry of the Spirit? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. will we'll delight in praising, adoring God uh, personally and probably collectively as well. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God, the the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Uh, Some lifestyle things. If we're under the influence of the Spirit, then we will be thankful, we'll be be filled with praise, we'll be uh, submissive to those who are in leadership. And and he speaks about a, a lifestyle of living for God. But turn now over to Colossians. And we'll see how the author of Scripture, which is the Spirit of God, speaks about when you're filled with the Word of God, what that will look like. He says in verse 16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, then he says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then he goes on another section talking about submitting to those in relationship. Now, what does that say very, very simply? That the Spirit of God and the Word of God are blended together in terms of that which ought to saturate our lives. And when that happens, we'll be people filled with worship and praise. We'll be filled with thanksgiving. Well, our relationships will be one of submitting to one another. And that we'll be filled with uh, that which demonstrates that we're with the heart of God and how we live. So what do we try to say this morning? That God's plan for his church is to be a witness of the reality of who Jesus is. That was our marching orders. That's the context. The content is that we can only do that effectively through the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit is one who dwells within us. The power of the Spirit, uh, and, and the, the person of the Spirit is the one who dwells. And the power comes from that Spirit. And, and then as we live that out, it's when we're under His influence that we live a life that shows that Jesus lives within us. Real quickly, let's look at a few other truths that I think we need to understand. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We'll stay in the book of Acts the rest of our time as we, as we look at how the Spirit of God ought to saturate our lives. Acts two thirty-eight. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit comes at salvation. That's when they connected with the Spirit of God. When you come to faith in God, you get all three parts of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a gift received to salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. 
We looked a little bit of this last week in our life groups. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this, by him, this man stands before you whole. As you think about that, they had just been threatened by all the religious leaders of that, that and, in, and put in jail for their testimony. And then he speaks up again and speaks about the crucified Savior. And so as we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it enables us to be bold. Boldness is simply a word that you could actually translate confidence. If you're lacking confidence, when we're lack, we all lack confidence. But when we lack confidence, then we need to tap into our power source. And we can be more than we are naturally. And Peter was willing to speak boldly. And, and, and we know at least before the cross and resurrection, was Peter always bold? No, he denied the, his faith to a little servant girl three times. And that's because at that point he wasn't filled with the Spirit of God. But when he was filled with the Spirit of God, he could be confident to speak the truth about his faith. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. And, and this, is, this part here is, is crucial to understand theologically. I uh, won't give all the backstory there, but in verse 3 it says, But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? And the only thing I want you to focus here is that if the Holy Spirit was only a, an energy source, it was only power, like Acts 1.8 talks about then we could say, I want to get plugged in to that source. But it's not just simply a source, it's a person. You know, I've played around with electricity at times and gotten a shock that I didn't want to get. But I've never lied to an electrical current because you can't. Because electrical current is not a person. And so as we think of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a person. But He's not a person like you and me, <laughs> He is God. Look at verse 4. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own, on your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to, to God. And so as they lied to the Holy Spirit, they were lying to a person, but not just a person like any other person. They were lying to the true God. So within our understanding of who God is, there's one God, but within one God, there are three persons. There are three in one. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. Persons, but full deity. A couple others just quickly. Acts chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Because I want to understand that our relationship with witness is both individual and it's corporate. That, that we do things together, and we talk about doing life together, and we do that in our life groups, but also we do that throughout our experience as a church as a whole. And, and there are needs throughout the week that, that people are involved in. Uh, you know, we have a, a deaconess ministry that, that call you know, people throughout our congregation and particularly work with our shut-ins and people that have special needs. And, and that's a ministry that they do by the Spirit of God. But, you know, it, it's, it's for everyone. Uh, look at Acts verses 6, 2, and 3. 
Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out men among you, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, again, I don't have time to give the backstory of this. Many of you are familiar with this, but there was a need within the, the church that some people were not receiving uh, care. And the complaint got up to the, the apostles, and they said, you've got to fix this. They said, we can't. That was not the ministry God has called us to. So they picked seven men who were full of the Holy Spirit, and their job description was to, to wait on tables. Now, now, the simple point I want to make there is that he makes us willing to wait on tables. I'm sure when those men were growing up, and they're asked, what do you want to be and do when you grow up? Probably not every one of them would have said, I want to serve, wait on tables to people that, that are in you know, certain caring facilities or needs, and, and yet they were willing to do that. Which, I didn't say that very well, but let's put it this way. There should be nothing on our I don't do list that we can do. They were full of the Holy Spirit, and, and they could do what they were called to do. And, and they did it joyously. If I can help in any way, let me help. And so they gave out the food, and they ministered in a, just a physical way because the Spirit of God made them servants. Jesus came not to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, and that's still going on. When you see a need, when you see a need that you can meet, then meet it. We won't turn to this passage, but I'll just refer to it. In Acts chapter 9, he's also able to make blind men see physically and spiritually. And that's where we see the Spirit of God jumping down on the Apostle Paul and drawing him into the family. What, what's the point this morning? God wants his church to be a church that is displaying what God did in that first century. He wants us to be an Acts 29 church. Not that we'll do necessarily everything they did, but we will do what was the main thing. And in all of life, that's, that's the challenge. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing was to live as people of the kingdom. To live a, as a people who are a witness to live as a people who live by the power under the influence of the Holy Spirit to represent God well in this world. My challenge for all of us this morning is, is, is that's the kind of people we want to be. To be a, a people that realize we can do great things for God because we have the greatness of God living within us. And the greatest thing that God does is, is to use us to influence someone else for Jesus Christ. Whether we're there when they cross that line and, or whether we're just the ones sowing the seeds, but God has left us here for the glorious purpose of bringing people into His family. And, and maybe this morning some of you haven't even made that step for yourself. That, that you haven't made that, that last commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ to say, God, I, I want to know you. 
I admit my need, and I do really believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And now today I want to commit to follow him and put my faith in him. We're going to close with a word of prayer in a moment. We'll be receiving our offerings, but we're going to continue to worship. There will be some people up here that are available to pray with you. You've got a prayer concern in any area of life. But God wants his people to, to be filled with the Spirit, and he wants people to be drawn into his family. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just really pray for each of us this morning. It's a challenge to realize you've left us the responsibility to represent you. And everyone here just feels so inadequate. But Father, you want us to be a humble people. And then you want us to rely upon you fully. You want your spirit to to influence us, to live a life and to speak about that life. And then, Father, we want to, to pray for those maybe this morning that, that don't know you. And, Father, we just want the Spirit of God to have open, open room to convince them of the reality of who Jesus is and to make that step, to simply say, Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins and come into my life. I want to follow you. As we continue to worship and pray, Father, might you just continue to submit your truths into our hearts and lives. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.